You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read actually in verses 12 and verse 13. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive into it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the following, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I am reminded from your word that there is more to life than what we see right now. There is very much a physical reality. We hear physically with our ears. We see things with our eyes. We feel things with our bodies. But there is also a spiritual world. That is beyond us. Open up our minds and imaginations to see this life as it really is. And I pray that in the time that we are together, that Holy Spirit, that you will take this word which is active and living and that you will drive it into our hearts. That you will align us with your will and your purposes for our lives so that we can truly experience the life that you have created us to experience in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. On Tuesday afternoon, I spent some time with our church staff in the Greene County Jail. Um, And not because we got arrested, but because our very own Don Crittenden, who's there on the second row, is the jail supervisor. He offered to give us a tour. And before I actually went on a tour with our church staff, I met with a woman who I have been working with on and off for probably about the last eight years, who has gone in and out of jail multiple times. And of course, when she's in jail, she's always saying, man, I really want to change. I want my life to be different. And then she comes out, and then, you know, it's kind of the same thing. She goes back into jail. Hey, when I get out, I want to get involved in your church. And then she gets out of jail, and things kind of, it's just a cycle. So that led me to ask Don the question. I said, Don, exactly just how many people are like this woman that I met with, that, 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 that don't just come into jail once, but they come in over and over again? And the statistics that he shared with me blew my mind. And I want to share them with you. Because what Don told me is that in 2017, the Greene County Jail you can see on here, booked 3,062 men and women in their facility. And of those 3,062, look at this, 2,218 of them were return inmates. 2,218 of the 3,062 that were in the jail last year were there for a second, third, fourth, or in some cases, a 56th time. Now, Just to do the math for you, what that means is literally 72.4% of our county jail's population is repeat offenders. 72.4%. As I thought about that this past week, I thought, you know, this statistic reminds us of the reality that change really is easier said than done. And this isn't simply true for people who are in jail. This is true for those of us who are in the church. 
I think about verses like Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says you can be transformed. Or Ezekiel 36, 26, it says that you can have a new heart. Or 1 Corinthians 2, 16, that says you can have a new mind. Or Ephesians 4, 24, that says you can have a whole new self. And yet, despite hearing these things, despite knowing these promises, despite the fact that many of us know we should change, want to change, and hear from the Bible that we can change, still, many of us, if we can be honest, We find ourselves wrestling with the same sins over and over and over. And as a result, for many of us, maybe we're starting to ask the question this morning, can I really change? Can can I really get rid of this issue that's been plaguing me for years? Can I really grow? Can I really mature? Can I really be transformed into the man or the woman that God has created me to be? And if so, how do I do it? How do I actually change? Well, depending on who you ask, you're going to get one of two different responses. For some people, they're going to say this, that if you want to change, you just need to work really, really, really hard. Because you get out of the Christian life, what you put into the Christian life, if you really want to be more like Jesus, you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to get your big boy or big girl pants on, right? And you just need to get to work, which sounds really American, right? And really noble, But the problem is, whenever we put work on us, we put a weight on our shoulders that we cannot bear. And what happens is one of two things. Whenever we begin to think that our change is all about our work, we either become really self-righteous on the weeks that we're doing good, or we become self-loathing in the many weeks and months that we do poorly. And therefore, because this is true, there are many people who swing the pendulum to the other side and they say, no, 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 no. If you want to change, it's not all about your work. It's all about God's work. And and so actually, if you want to change more than you need to work hard, you just need to trust God more. How many of you have ever heard the saying before that you just need to let go and let God? It's a famous saying. It's just not biblical. Right? Some people, though, they really believe that, hey, if you want to change, you just need to believe the gospel. If you'll just believe the gospel more, then you will be changed. And again, that sounds great, but people who fall into this camp of just let go and let God, typically, from my experience, what happens to them is they become lazy, they become passive, and spiritually apathetic. So the question again this morning is, what exactly are we supposed to do? How do we close the gap between where we are and where we want to be? Is it about my work? Is it about God's work? How do I actually change? And fortunately for us, we get the answer to this question in Philippians chapter 2. And before we dive back into it, just to set the context for you, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi, and in chapter 1, verse 1, he addresses them as the saints who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, I'm writing to people who are in union with Christ. To those of you who are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And he's writing this whole letter to them from prison. Paul has lost everything as a result of following Jesus, and he's trying to tell this church how they can now have joy in all of life, no matter what their circumstances are. And he comes to chapter 2, verse 12, and he says the following, Therefore... Now, any time that we see the word therefore, we should always stop and ask what? What is it there for? And in this instance, what Paul is saying is therefore, in light of everything I just said. And what did Paul just say? Well, basically, he just laid out for this church the gospel. 
That's what he just, he just said. And basically what he told them is, look, it's the gospel, and you need to get this today. This is the gospel. It is the beautiful reality that despite the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that our sins actually lead us to deserving an eternal judgment and death, despite that fact, despite the fact that God knew that we were broken, rather than him just leaving us in our brokenness and making us fix ourselves, he came to this earth. He left a perfect place in heaven. He came to this earth for the purpose of rescuing and redeeming us through his finished work on the cross. And Paul, he outlines this for the Philippians in chapter 2, starting in verse 5. If you actually look with me there, you can look back up in your Bible. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, look at this phrase, in Christ Jesus. So there again, he's talking about union with Christ. Who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, he's talking about Jesus, emptied himself... By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to a death on a cross. And why does it matter that Jesus died on the cross? Why does that matter? Well, because what the Bible teaches that when Jesus went to the cross, what happened is on the cross, while he hung there and he bled and died for you, that God in the flesh was treated the way you and I deserve to be treated for our sins, so that when we trust in Christ, we can now for all eternity be treated the way he deserves to be treated for all eternity. That's what Paul is setting our eyes on here. The reality that Jesus died a death, that we all deserve to die for our sins, so we can now experience the life that only Christ deserves to experience. And then the good news is, Paul says in verse 9, Jesus didn't stay dead. He says in verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him. he's, He's been resurrected. He's been raised from the dead. He's been highly exalted, and he has bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God, that he is the one who has authority over all things. And this is to the glory of God the Father. This is what Paul just said. And therefore, he goes on to say in light of that, verse 12, Philippians 2 verse 12, Therefore, look what he says next, work out your salvation. The Greek word for work out here can actually be translated accomplish, achieve, produce, or bring about. Which means more literally, this verse could read like this. Therefore, in light of everything that Christ has done for you, accomplish your own salvation. Achieve your own salvation. Produce your own salvation. Bring about your own salvation. Now, does that seem a little bit odd to anybody else in here other than me? I hope so, because if you've read your Bible, the Bible says that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet now we have a verse that at least on the surface seems to be saying the opposite. So what is going on here? In Ephesians chapter 2, right, Paul, the same guy who wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, wrote to the, the church in Ephesus, and he said to them in Ephesians chapter 2 that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet now he's saying to us, you are church to work out your salvation. Well, what is Paul saying here? Well, in short, let me just put it like this. For many of us, when we have a view, our view of salvation, 
When it comes to how we view salvation, we have a flat view of it. We do not see it as the Bible really talks about it. And what I mean by that is, is a lot of us, when we think of salvation, we think about it in a past tense. Right? Like, I have been saved. I've been forgiven of my sins, and now I'm declared right before God, the end. And then some of us, right, we don't just think of a past tense, but we also think of a future tense. Whereas, right, because I have been forgiven of my sins, now one day I will go to heaven when I die. And that is all beautiful and true. But when the Bible talks about salvation, it doesn't just talk about it in a past tense and in a future tense, but it also talks about salvation in a present tense. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, to which you received, in which you stand, by which you are now, look at this, being saved. So yes, when it comes to your salvation, there is a past reality. I have been saved from the penalty of sin for the purpose of now being God's beloved child. Yes, there is a future reality. I am one day going to be saved from the presence of sin. Hallelujah, right? Like one day all sad things will come untrue. But Paul says there is a present reality in the fact that not only have you been saved from the penalty of sin, not only will you be saved from the presence of sin, but right now you are through the Holy Spirit being saved from the power of sin. And therefore, in light of that, what Paul is saying is because none of us have arrived yet, because none of you look just like Jesus, and because I don't look just like Jesus, because there's still a gap between where we are and where we want to be, Paul says, therefore, we have some work to do, church. We have work to do. And notice in verse 12, Paul says, this work is actually going to require some personal responsibility. Notice in the passage, Paul says that you are to work out your own salvation. In other words, if you want to change, listen guys, you're going to have to put some skin in the game. If you want to change, you are going to have to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. If you want to change, you cannot live off of my faith or another pastor's faith or your missional community leader's faith or your wife or your husband's faith or your parents' faith, teenager. If you truly want to grow, if you want to be transformed, you have to, for yourself, accept personal responsibility for your spiritual growth. That's what Paul is saying here when he says, work out your own salvation. And then just to add a little heat to the command, he throws in this Old Testament phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What in the world is Paul talking about here? What Paul is saying is, listen, listen to me carefully, guys. What Paul is saying is that there is coming a day where you will stand before the God of the universe and you will give an account for everything you have done or have not done. There is coming a day where you will answer, that you will give an account for your life. There is coming a day where you will stand before the one who has authority over all things, including your soul, and you will answer for your life. And therefore, in light of this, what Paul says, do not take your, do not take your sanctification lightly. Do not be flippant about the sin in your life. But rather, he says, work at your salvation with a reverence and a respect for God and with a sensitivity to your own sin. And if that makes you nervous this morning or if that makes you feel like that this is legalism, I want you to notice, I want to be very clear on this, notice 
Though Paul says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he does not say you're to work for your salvation with fear and trembling. It's important that you understand that distinction because, listen, though there is nowhere in the Bible that would say that we are saved by our good works, over and over is what we will read is that we are saved for good works. I think about that passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which we all have memorized. For by grace we've been saved through faith. And it is not of works so that no one can boast. But what's the very next verse? Why were you saved? Not by your works, but for good works, which according to verse 10, God created in you before the foundations of the world that you would walk in them. That's why we say the line often from Dallas Willard, that though grace is opposed to earning, it is not opposed to effort. Or to put it another way, grace, though it is absolutely 100% opposed to working for your salvation, it is not at all opposed to working out your salvation. And the reason this is important, guys, is listen, until you get this reality, you will be stuck in your spiritual development. Please listen to me carefully. Nobody stumbles onto godliness. You cannot just keep living the life that you have been living and expect to one day just miraculously wake up as a spiritual rock star. Like it, it, It's not going to happen. If you want to grow, if you want to mature, if you want to change, you need to realize that when it comes to your discipleship to Christ, you actually have some work to do. That's what Paul was saying in verse 12. But then he goes on and he says, look what he says next. He says that, that verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now... Not only is it my presence, but much more my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Now, wait a minute. That's confusing. Like, like which one is it, Paul? Is it my work or is it God's work? And what's Paul's answer to the question? Yes. Verse 12, he says, because you believe the gospel, because you have been united to Christ, because you, you, you now live in him and he in you, he says, you are to live, you are to step into that reality by working out your own present salvation with fear and trembling. But then he goes on in verse 13, and he says, as you are doing that work, as you are stepping, stepping into that present work, remember, he says, that it's actually God who's doing the work in you. He says, remember That Christ is now in you. God is in you. His Holy Spirit. His very empowering presence. And therefore, because that is true, when it comes to change, you need to realize, guys, you have every bit of power you need from God to change. That's what he's saying. And if this is kind of hard to understand, think about it like this. Think about Crowley's Ridge Raceway. Has anybody been to Crowley's Ridge Raceway? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, a few of you. Yeah, uh, I went last night for the very first time with my son. Thank you, James. With my, I feel like a real man. And so with my son and with Luke and Matt and uh, their two boys. I don't even know. Do we have a picture, by the way? Do we? Oh, there they are. And in case you have a hard time knowing which boy is which, my son, yes, is the one with the skinny jeans on the left. Um, <laughs> Matt's son is in the middle who looks very polite and is sitting perfectly upright. Very proper, just like his dad. And then you've got Andrew, who has hair as big as his personality, just like his father. (laughs) And so, uh, dude, that was amazing last night, wasn't it? I am contemplating quitting the ministry and becoming a race car driver. (laughs) 
I've not prayed about it, not talked to my wife about it, but I am kicking it around. Depends on how the sermon goes today. And so, um, man, we had a blast last night. And here's what I learned about racing. It's the first time I've ever watched a race in my life. And uh, here's what I learned is that if you're going to race, like the racer, the driver actually has to put forth some effort. Like, there's work involved to drive that thing. Like, I didn't realize, like, how hard can it be to go around in circles? Like, anybody could do it. It's not an athlete, right? It's kind of what I thought. But I'm watching, I'm like, like, man, like, it actually takes work and effort to drive one of these things. But you know what else I noticed last night? As good as your driver is and as much effort as they put forth, if they don't have a good engine, they're not going anywhere. Is that right? <laughs> Let me tell you what happened at Crowley's Ridge Raceway last night. Half the guys who got there that tried to drive their car, like, got towed off before it was even over because their car died. And the ones who won, won big time, did they not? Because they had a healthy, strong, powerful in- engine that was able to propel them forward and move them towards the direction they needed to go. In the same way, what Paul is saying is, look, when it comes to the Christian life, you are like the driver. You do have some work to do. You have an effort, but you need to realize that God is the engine. He is the, instruct- the indestructible, all-powerful engine that you need to push you forward, to do the work, to accomplish the task that God has called you to accomplish. That's what he's saying here in verse 13. And then I love this next line. You, you, you have to get this. And the next line, what Paul says, is not only is God working in you, but look at this. He's working in you for his good pleasure. Which means, and you have got to catch this today, when God is at work in you, he's having fun. God is taking delight in you and the work that he's doing in you. Now, if you believe that, it has the potential to change your life. Because... For most of us in here, let's just be honest, we have a hard time delighting in who we really are. I mean, I know there's probably 10% of you in here, it's like, am I amazing or what, right? (laughs) But for the other 90% of us in here, we struggle to take delight in who we really are. I mean, we take delight in the future version of ourselves, the version with no flaws, but the current version of myself, like, no, man, I, I need an update. Like, the future version of myself, like, I can totally get on board with that. I can live and love that self, but not so much where I am today. I mean, even on Thursday, I come home after, I don't know, 12 to 14 hours of sermon prep, and I come home on Thursday, and I just felt like God said, that's just, you, you do not need to preach that message. And, uh, which kind of freaked me out a little bit because I just put a lot of time into working on it. And so like, I begin to get anxious and think, oh my gosh, like Sunday's coming and I have to have something to teach on on Sunday. And so my kids, it'd been a busy night. We had something going every night this week, literally every night. And so like the one night that my kids were like, dad, would you watch a movie with us and eat some popcorn? You know what I do? Because I don't have a sermon and it's Thursday evening. I get my computer and I start working on and trying to figure out what am I, I got to figure something out here. Start writing down thoughts and all that. And while I'm doing it the whole time, you know what I'm feeling? This incredible amount of guilt. Because I'm sitting there thinking, like, man, like, I'm just so worried about And I'm also experiencing shame because I'm thinking, like, like, I'm paid to to teach. I mean, like, 
that's not the only thing I do, but that's one of the things that's on my role description, to come and to teach a message. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? Like, I've been doing this now for, you know, uh, full time for like six years. Like, why can't I just like, you know, have this teaching, like just roll? Like, why can't I even be doing it by the, by the middle of the week? And what's going on with me? And my wife can tell you, like in bed that night, she was like, you've got to calm down. Like, you've got to stop beating yourself. I mean, literally on Thursday night, like I hated, I hated myself for the stuff that I was dealing with. And I'm guessing, like, in a room this size, I'm not alone. For some of you, because of your anxiety. For others, because of depression. For some of you, you're just a Debbie Downer. You're always critical. For others, you've got anger issues. Like, you're even mad right now because you're mad, right? I mean, it's like, I don't have a right to be mad. I'm just mad. And because of this stuff that we know is inside of us, if we can be honest, there are times we hate ourselves and therefore we convince ourselves if we hate ourselves, then God must really hate us. He must really hate us. And if that's where you are this morning, I wanted to share with you good news. According to the Apostle Paul, if you are a Christian, God is at work in you and he is finding great pleasure in you right now. God is not just satisfied with the future version of you. God loves and delights in the current version of you. God delights in you right now as you are, even with all of your faults, flaws, and failures. And if you sit here and you ask yourself, like, how in the world can this be possible? Well, it's because of your union with Christ. It's because of union with Christ. Because you are now in Christ and He is in you. What that means is, listen... Because Christ is in you, you now have the power of God. And because you are in Christ, you now have the full pleasure of God. Union with Christ tells you that you have the power of God and you have the pleasure of God in full right now. Because Christ is in you through his Holy Spirit, what that tells you is literally you have everything that you need to do the work that God has called you to do. And because you are in Christ, even when, not if, but even when you fall short, you have God's love and acceptance and delight in full. Because when God sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. God delights in you. And not only does God delight in you, he delights in the work that he is doing in you. God is having fun right now, no matter where you are in the process. God is having fun working in you and taking you forward to who you are becoming in Jesus. It's an incredible concept. I I think about the artist in our church that we have commissioned to make art that corresponds with our sermon series. And if you have not looked at the artwork, is it not incredible, by the way? If you've not looked at the art, go look at it and meditate on it for the purpose of letting that art open up your imagination to to experience more of God. And, of course, our kids are involved in that as well. But I was talking with Brent about his art this past week. I think we have a picture of it. We have, yeah. So Brent Richardson, who I'm proud to say is in my missional community, um, he painted this piece. He spent 80 hours painting this so that we could enjoy it as a church. And I'm not going to steal its thunder. You can go and read about it out in the foyer about what all it means. But 80 hours, I, I began to think to myself, and I was like, Brent, I mean, that, that had to be like painstaking. 80 hours? And here's what he responded in the text. He says, actually, the process was the most enjoyable part. 
Because when I paint, I know that I am moving the canvas towards a preconceived image of what the art will one day be. The same is true when it comes to your relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you realize the Bible says that you are God's masterpiece. When God looks at you, literally, he envisions a masterpiece because he sees you as you are as a finished product, as you are becoming in Christ. And therefore, right now, even in the process, even in the reworking of your life, God is finding great delight and he is having fun every single day, no matter where you are in the journey, of moving you more towards the man or woman that you were created to be. And so here's my question in light of that today. If God is having fun, why are you not having more fun? If God is enjoying the process, why are you not enjoying the process? You know, for some people, because they err on the side of thinking that work is all about God and it's not about me, they become flippant. Ah, you know, just this sin, I'm not going to really worry about it, I'm just going to kind of let go and let God. For others, because they err on the other side, and they think, no, work is all about me, they freak out. Man, I'm so far from where I need to be, and there's so much work to be done, I'm just so overwhelmed by it. But you see, when you understand union with Christ, you know what happens? You don't become flippant, you don't freak out, but you actually are freed up to have fun in your sanctification. You can actually smile not saying you don't experience conviction, but you can lighten up a little bit. That's where Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You can actually have fun rather than sitting back and always just guilt and shame and toxic fear and all of those things. And you can enjoy the process. When you understand union with Christ, you understand that you now have in full God's power and also God's pleasure. He's not going to love some future version of you more than he loves you now. He loves you perfectly and fully right now in Christ Jesus. And he's given you everything that you need to be transformed. This is why union with Christ matters so much. Because when this goes from being a doctrine that you just believe in your head to taking root in your heart and you begin to step into that reality, it absolutely has the ability to change your entire life. Now, the question is this morning as we end, does that mean that when you understand union with Christ, that change is going to be easy? Is change ever easy? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever tried to stop smoking before? Right? Is that easy? Right? Like, no, like that is very difficult. In fact, from what I've talked with, with most people, it is terrible when you first try to stop smoking or to stop taking pills. It's terrible for those who like, have been living an unhealthy lifestyle and they try to lose weight. I think about when I first started trying to eat healthy, and I remember I was going to cut sodas out of my life. It was terrible because I was addicted to sugar. It's like everywhere I went, people were drinking soda, and I was like, oh, I just want one so bad. But you know what's amazing? Is over time, as I pushed through like kind of just the, the hardness of not drinking soda, you know what happened? Over time, not overnight, but over time, my desires and my appetites actually begin to change. And now, guess what? I don't even want a soda. And not only do I not want a soda, when I try to drink one, it tastes like cough syrup to me. No joke. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's not, I don't even want it anymore. And in the same way, listen, that's the way it works when it comes to your own spiritual life. That's the way it works. 
The saying is true that old abbots die hard, but if you will seek to step into, if you will seek right to begin to work out your salvation over time, right, you can begin to change. Your desires will change, your passions will change, and as a result of that, your life will begin to follow. So to close this morning, here's what I want to say. God has a work to do and you have a work to do. God knows what his job is. The question is, what is your job? What is the work that you have to do? And I'm going to put this on the screen for you, and hopefully this is not new. Uh, This is what we call the spiritual formation paradigm. Hopefully this is familiar to you if you've been coming for a year. But listen, everything that you see on the outside of that triangle, that's the work God has called you to do if you want to change. If you see at the top, it starts with teaching. It starts with you showing up here regularly, not just once a month when all the stars align right, but showing up here regularly and hearing the teaching of God's word. It starts with you immersing yourself in the scripture, maybe listening to a good podcast or reading a good book, all for the purpose of opening up your mind so it can be reshaped by who God really is and what he's done for you in Christ and how that now changes who you are and how you live. That's the first step, guys. Listen, if you want to change, you cannot bypass that. Can't. It doesn't matter what kind of person that you cannot bypass that. Second, because information alone does not equal transformation, right? We need to actually practice the way of Jesus. We say all the time here that if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Because Jesus prayed, guess what we should do? If we want to change, we should pray. Because he fasted, if we want to change, guess what we should do? We should fast. Because Jesus didn't hold on to bitterness and he would forgive people, we should forgive people because he spent time in silence and solitude. If we want to change, we should actually spend time in silence and solitude. And then again, because never throughout history has there been a mature Lone Ranger Christian, we all have to plug into community. And I know this is hard and I know this is scary and I promise you guys, this is not going to get any better in our culture. It's going to get harder. We are becoming such a hyper-individualistic culture where we have begun to believe that as long as we stay connected to social media that we have community, and it's not the same. If you want to change, you need to get plugged into a missional community. I'm telling you right now, look at me. This is a prophetic word maybe for some of you. I won't, maybe I won't use the word that strong or prophetic, but I do believe this is a direct word for some of you. If you do not plug into a community, you will be walking away from this thing a year from now. You're this close. You're this close, and this is a warning, I believe, from God, but also a promise that if you truly want to change and you want to stay the course, you need to plug in to a community. I'm not saying it has to be our church, but you just heard Shay talk about it. What was it, eight churches in seven years? And you attended every one of them, but it wasn't until you plugged into community that God used it to change your life. I'm not making this up. You just saw it right here on the stage. Excuses come easy, do they not? Right? And hell is paved with a road of good intentions. So let's stop making excuses. You are not busier than the next person in this room. You're not. You're not more important than the next person sitting to you. And I'm telling you, God has told you you need community. I'm going to stop preaching now, a kind of little side trail. And so please go see next steps after this is over. Go talk with them about getting involved in a missional community. And then if you're in a missional community, get involved in a fight club. We're going to do a whole new relaunch around fight club next year. We're actually going to change the name of the DNAs. We'll talk about that later. Um, but this is so essential for your development. But then again, notice, guys, listen, if you look at that below the bar, you will not change overnight. So is it going to be hard for you if you start doing these things, yes or no? Is it going to be hard, yes or no? Yes. 
And hard is not bad, guys. Hard is not bad. Hard does not mean you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. This is going to be hard. But if you will stay with it over time, as you see there, and through the hard knocks of life, through suffering, suffering is not your enemy. Suffering is not your executioner. It is your gardener. It'll help you grow. Over time and through suffering, you will begin to change. Now, again, though, look in the middle. All that stuff on the outside is what you have to do, but it's all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. All done in God's power. So again, you have a work to do, and God has a work to do. And listen, we all tend to err to one side or the other, so think about where am I today? Do I tend to just right now think, ah, it's all God's work, and he's going to do what he's going to do no matter what, or oh, it's all my work, God's not with me, I've got to change? We all tend to err to one side or the other, but I love how Augustine says it. He says the following. He says, without God, we can't, but without us, he won't. He won't. Without God, we cannot change, but without us, he will not allow us to change. It's a partnership. It's not about earning, but it is about effort. And here's the good news again, right? All the power we need is found in God. He is the engine, the indestructible, all-powerful engine. And so whenever you show up here and you show up for teaching and you open up your Bible and you pray and you fast and you do that and you plug in a community, literally what you do, guys, listen, and we're done today, what you do is whenever that happens is you open up your life to encounter the empowering presence of God. That's what happens. And in the words of Jesus, as a result, you will then bear much fruit. So as we end today, is change possible? Yes. It is not natural, but it is possible. Therefore, here's my final encouragement. Take a step today towards where it is the Holy Spirit's calling you to go today. Start with where you are right now and begin to take a step towards change. Do not wait until later. Listen, the longer you wait to be obedient to what God has already called you to do, the harder it's going to be for you to be obedient. So start right now. Start today. For some of you, what that means is you're going to go to bed rather than at 10.30, at 10.15. So you can wake up 15 minutes earlier and you can finally, for the first time, try to read the Bible. For others, it means that you're going to stop, you know, showing up and just kind of being an attender and you're going to plug into community. I don't know what it may be for you. For some of you this morning, you know what the first step is? Is to truly trust in Christ for the very first time. It's a surrendering your life to Jesus for the first time. And if you want more information on how to do that, to truly go from, from as Shay said, just kind of being religious to actually being someone who gives your heart to Christ. I would love to talk with you about that. I'll be here in the front row. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we have communion. We have two stations in the front. We have two in the back. And each week, communion is here to literally remind us of our common union, of our need to be in Christ and Christ to be in us. And even if you're not a member of this church, you're welcome to this table. We have a gluten-free option for you in the back. We would love for you to come to taste and see all over again every single week that God really is as good as he says that he is. With that in mind, I ask you to stand as our band comes forward. I'll pray for us. And then I want to encourage you guys to stay in a moment of worship. At this portion in the teaching, here's always my hope. What scares me is we hear this and all of a sudden, bam, we're out of the moment and now we're moving on to the next thing. 
That's not a good thing. What we all should be doing, no matter if it's me teaching or whoever else is up here, is we should be asking ourselves, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you now have for me? This is what we call a response time. It's what the team knows us as, what the elders know it as. It's a time of response. It's a time to come and remember in a tangible way the gospel. So I would encourage you as you come, focus on what you're doing. Don't just let it be an empty ritual. And then we'll return back to our seats and we'll sing another song and then we'll be dismissed. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here truly. Even though I don't even know some of them, I have a love for them that I believe is a love from you, Father. There's no doubt in my mind that you love each person who is here, no matter who they are or what they have done. And I pray that right now if they will feel that love and if they have not truly surrendered their life to you, that there will be nobody who leaves here today who is not in you and therefore does not feel the pleasure of the Father. God, I pray right now even for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit, for maybe some who have been following you for a long time, if they become apathetic or cynical, critical, judgmental. I pray that you would fill them up and that they would trust you and move forward. That they would trust the process that you have put in place to open up their lives, experience more of your power. And as a result, that we would as a church bear fruit that only you can get the glory for. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.